Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Michael. Thank you very much. My name, my name is Michael, and uh, I'm a, a compulsive overeater, and uh, I want to thank God for my abstinence and sobriety. I, I, hi, everybody. I, I always start this off um, whenever I lead a meeting, of whether it's Alcoholics Anonymous or Overeaters Anonymous. I always thank God for my sobriety and, and the incredible life I've got today. And, um, you know, Alex, welcome. You know, 13 and a half years ago, I sat in the same chair you're sitting in right now, right in that corner, and uh, not to single you out, but I hope you're in in as much pain as I was 13 and a half years ago, because your life's going to transform. It really is. It's going to absolutely transform. And, um, you know, I just remember it. It was even a day like today. It was just a really incredible day. And... uh, this room in particular, it, it, you know, I come to AA meetings in here and, you know, this, this meeting was where the course of my life completely changed direction for the better. And, um, you know, I, I was just sitting in my car and, and, you know, I just had such a good life today. You know, I'm sober, I'm abstinent, um, there's no 911s going on, I don't hurt people, uh, I'm honest. You know, I fall short some days, um, and I've got a, a group of friends around me that, you know, I, if I have a problem, you know, I've got three or four men that I can call, and I don't turn to food anymore to medicate myself, and, you know, for a compulsive overeater like me, that's that's pretty miraculous, you know, because it wasn't like that, and, you know, I'd suffered from every type of eating disorder, you know, I, I came in here at 300 pounds. It was exactly 300 pounds when I came into Overeaters Anonymous. So I'm a 100 pounder and I've maintained that weight loss for, for 12, 12 and a half years. And, you know, I tried everything before I came into 12-step programs. And, you know, I'd, I'd done every diet known to man. Um, the amount of money I could have saved on Equinox memberships. You know, I could have paid off my mortgage by now. Um, uh, Therapists, nutritionists, psychologists, Catholic priests, Protestant ministers, Jewish rabbis. I tried it all. You know, I was the guy standing in Barnes & Noble for a few hours in the self-help section. I was constantly trying to find out what was wrong with me. And I could not make progress with it. You know, I just was stuck. And I was miserable. And, uh, you know, life was dark. And it was small. And uh, it was chaotic, and it wasn't successful in any in any shape or form. You know, my career was—I uh, didn't have any career, I didn't have any money, I wasn't in any relationship, uh, I wasn't speaking to my mother, I wasn't speaking to my sister, I didn't have any friends. You know, I was three hundred pounds. I didn't wash. You know, I was a, a binge drinker, a blackout drinker. You know, and my blackout drinking went on for days and days. It just wasn't just an evening. And, uh, yeah, I was suicidal. You know, that's where I was 13 and a half years ago. And I remember um, sitting on the steps 
of the bank across the road. And it was January 2008. And I'd been to a couple of AA meetings and I'd been to an OA meeting and I'd found out about this meeting. And uh, I was sitting on the steps, I think it was about 4.30 in the afternoon. And I remember looking around this area. I'd never been to Brentwood before. And I thought, God, this is absolutely beautiful. You know, I wish I lived in a place like this. Blue skies and palm trees. And then this couple ran past me. They were jogging up San Vincente Road. And I said, I wish I was fit. I wish I could run. You know, I wish I had a girlfriend. You know, I wish I had a job. You know, and then a car would drive, a really nice car would drive past. I wish I had a nice car. And I just remember being so immersed in the disease. Because the disease for me is lack. It's always what I don't have. And what you've got. And why don't I have it? That's my disease. And uh, my disease is very much, it shows up like, well, I look at people around me and you didn't hit a triple, you were born on third base. So let's get it right. And I wasn't. And so why is that? Why, why is that? And, uh, you know, just going through life full of resentment and fear and envy, it's a horrible way to live. But that's the disease for me. And the way I used to get out of it was drinking to oblivion or compulsively eating. And it just brought peace. And it was something that just like calmed me down. But it turned on me. And so, um, you know, I found my way into these rooms uh, and into this room in particular and sitting over where our, our new friend is sitting now. And I, for the first month, I, sat, I came every week and I sat over there. But I didn't want to get to know you. I was too scared. I was too ashamed. And there's people sitting in this meeting now that were in that meeting 13 and a half years ago. Because I remember what you looked like. Lucy was here. Leslie was here. Leslie, I don't think you've missed a Saturday in 13 years. <laughs> Every time I come, you're here. Lee Sam was here, you know. Michelle, you came a few years later. Um, but, you know, if, last Saturday, I, Michelle told me, oh, light your candles back on in person. And I said, like, I've got to go. And I came in and the same people were here last week. And it's like a safe, it's like a safe harbour for me. It's a safe port, uh, you know, where I can come in and just relax. And there's just something about this room that just relaxes me. You know, it's the presence of God. That's what it is. Where two or more meet in my name. And, um, you know, I remember coming out of the meeting last Saturday. I just felt better. And I, I just have eaten clean every day. So I want to... I want to talk a little bit about what it was like and then jump into how I work my program today. You know, I've had an eating disorder all of my life. Grew up in an alcoholic home, um, chaotic. I mean, I'm sure you've heard the story. And, um, you know, witnessed a lot of violence towards my mother from my father. And that stayed with me for many years. And um, would medicate myself with chocolate and food. Grew up in England. And... Um, found alcohol when I was about 13 and things just kind of went downhill from then onwards and um, you know I just and then found bulimia as well and for, for a man actually to talk about that it's actually quite hard you know it's very hard not many men actually get up and talk about that but I am yeah, a, a recovering bulimic as well you know I would exercise to the point of injury uh, I would exercise to make myself throw up um, and I remember Back in my disease, um, you know, I was quite an overweight child, and then into my teens, I was still very overweight, compulsively eating. 
and then I found exercise and I really compulsively exercised and I managed to maintain my weight through exercise and then being able to throw up when I worked out so hard, you know, and I would be like, it's not a good workout unless I'm vomiting at the end of it. I mean, it's just, I look back now and I'm like, that's, that's insanity. You know, that is insanity, you know, to put myself through that. And um, I had an injury, this, I was about 21 at the time at university, and I had an injury, and I had surgery on my foot, uh, on my toes actually, it was like this weird injury I had, and I remember the, the doctor saying to me, the surgeon, well you cannot exercise for about three to six months, maybe light walking in three months, you're going to get your cast taken off in six weeks, and when I got the cast taken off at six weeks, I went out running. And I was in so much pain running, but I kept going through. No pain, no gain. That is the worst expression I've ever heard. No pain, no gain. And uh, I, I remember my girlfriend at the time was like looking at me going, what is wrong with you? You know, you need to maybe get some help. And I was like, no, that was a good run. That was great. And I'd be limping along. And it was just, a, and then I'd get on the scale after the run to see where I was. And I was like chained to the scale. You know, now I weigh myself once a month, only on sponsor direction. So this went on, and the, the eating, and, 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 you know, just the compulsive eating, and then I came to America, you know, at, at, it, which was a godsend. And I, I, but when I first came to America, you know, I was incredibly lonely, and I was in a really bad marriage. And um, I, I had no friends here, and we, we were living down in Torrance, and I absolutely hated Los Angeles when I came here. I just thought it's the worst place on the planet. It's so, it's awful. You know, the traffic, the people, you know, they don't even like proper football. They don't watch proper sport, you know, and they talk funny. And I was just totally isolated, you know, but I was in such, it's such a bad place. And all I would do, and my, my wife at the time was a nurse, and she would go out all day working really hard, and all I would do is just like drive from drive through to drive through and restaurant to restaurant because I thought the food was incredible here compared to England. And I would just sit in, in and out and just gorge myself. And this was my life. And then occasionally I would go out on my own and find a British pub and just get dr drink until I couldn't remember what was going on. And that was, that was the way I lived. And this went on for years. This wasn't just months. This went on for years. And then... You know, something happened to me where it was like through alcohol, where I, I went on a, a trip. It was actually, I, had, I did have a job and it was an awful job, but they sent me to Boston on a, on a training course and I met two Irish guys in Boston and we went out and had a drink. And I remember on the second drink, I thought this is not going to go too well, but I couldn't stop after the second drink. And I woke up in a hotel room four days later it wasn't my hotel room and I remember it vividly and I woke up and I couldn't find my phone or my, my wallet, my money had all gone and I turned to one side and there was a pool of vomit and I turned to the other side and there was a, a half eaten chicken kebab and it was like that was, that was it, that was the sign of my life, vomit and, and bad food and, and a hangover and you know I, I managed the, the boss at the time I was working for was a member of Al-Anon. And this is where God sends his angels. You know, there's, there's, no, there's no coincidences in God's world. He puts people in it to give you a little nudge, to put you on the right path. And she said, look, you've got a real problem. And she said, you know, you should really try Alcoholics Anonymous. 
And corporate America, that's unheard of. You're fired straight away. If you disappear for four days on a binge, your job's gone. And so she said, I'm going to give you two weeks off. You're going to get yourself sorted out. You're going to go to Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, just sit and listen. This was my boss telling me this. It was like a sponsor, right? And so I did. I went to AA. And, I'll, you know, the first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous was in Pasadena because I was living up there. And I remember walking in and I was the only person without tattoos. Uh, the only person without tattoos on my neck. I was the only white person. They were all Hispanic and they were all ex-gangbangers. And they were the nicest people I've ever met. And I, came, I walked in and they said, hey, come and sit at the front. You knew. Hey, do you want a cup of coffee? Come and sit at the front. And people came over to me and gave me phone numbers. And I will never forget that. It brings, it chokes me up even thinking about my first AA meeting. And, um, you know, that's why I make a fuss of newcomers. You know, that's why I make a fuss of them. I remember their names. You know, and I make a beeline for them at the end of the meeting. You know, I don't push them too hard. But I just might show a bit of kindness to them. Because, remember when you first came in, remember that feeling of loneliness. It's horrible. You know, that's the disease. And uh, I went to this meeting and I just felt that. And I, I couldn't figure out what it was. You know, was it like a religious group? You know, there was a prayer on the wall. They said that the, the, the Our, Father, Our Father at the end of the meeting. Uh, but I just remember feeling better at this AA meeting. But they had this table with donuts and cookies on it. And I just went over and gorged myself in the middle of the meeting. You know, because I was in so much, just so much pain. You know, and it was funny, but it wasn't. And, and you know, I was this big 300-pound guy. And I met, this, I met this Hispanic guy, and he says to me, hey, look, you know there's a program for food as well. So I was telling him I couldn't stop eating. And I went, a program for food? He went, yeah, it's called, Over, I think it's Overeaters Anonymous or Food Addicts Anonymous or something like that. But I didn't go to it for another, another month. I sat and binged, but I'd stopped the, you know, kind of, you know, white-knuckled the alcohol. And then I did, I found my way to Overeaters Anonymous. And here was the other, the other person that God put in my, in my path. You know, I remember calling the number for OA. And uh, this guy picked up, <coughs> and uh, he was just so kind to me on the phone. And uh, he said, hey, come to the meeting tonight. You know, I'm running a men's stag meeting uh, out in Glendora. Get in the car, come tonight. And uh, I drove out there, and he was there. And he just made me feel so welcome. There's three of us in this men's OA meeting, and he just made me feel better. And he said, hey, look, you know, you should try this meeting over on the west side. There's this Irish guy goes to it. You know, you're Irish, aren't you? And I went, no, I'm actually English, but that's all right. <laughs> and uh, he says, uh, Irish guy. And then there's this other guy who's like really big AA, big book thumper. And one guy's called Mickey and the other one's called Walter. And uh, you should go over there. And uh, the next week I came and that's where I sat over in the corner where Alex is now. And that was the beginning. That was the beginning of, of this incredible transformation. And it has been an incredible change in my life. And uh, I wish I could tell you the disease of compulsive overeating has left me. It hasn't. I have to treat it every day. The alcohol, uh, the, the, the thoughts of alcohol have completely, utterly left me. After about six months of AA, I don't even think about alcohol. The other night I was out with uh, my girlfriend. She drinks, she just drinks a glass of wine here and there, no big deal. But I could smell it on her breath. And I just said, honey, I just, you know, and she went, I'll go and brush my teeth. I just, I, it just repulses me, the smell. And uh, it, but the food, 
has not left me. I have to work really hard at this. I was talking to Michelle. And I, I've got so much love for this lady here that's running the podcast. I send her my food every day. She's just like a, an angel, an angel. And, you know, we talk. And I've got a sponsor, Kenji, who's got, I think he's got 42 years now in this program uh, out in the valley. I talk to Ken every night at 10 o'clock. Never, ever, regardless of where I'm at, I call him at 10 o'clock. And I send my food to Michelle, and I send it to Ken, and I send it to my sponsees. Everybody gets my food. Everybody sees what I eat every day, and I've never missed a day. Well, that's not true. I've missed a few days when I was in England, and Michelle reminded me, I haven't seen your food for a few days. And uh, I didn't have an internet connection. And uh, I'm just joking, I think I did. Um, but I send my food just about yeah, 95% of the time, I send my food in. And uh, my abstinence is basically three meals a day and two snacks. And that's it. And it's three healthy meals. And occasionally, if I'm out, I'll, I'll eat something. It's not, I, I don't have this like really strict counting calories, weighing and measuring. It drives me crazy. I can't do it. And last week, when I came here, the speaker was talking about, you know, I got a nutritionist and I put weight on. I got a nutritionist a couple of years ago and I put weight on and it drove me crazy I paid this woman $500 and after a week I went I can't do it anymore and I went just keep the 500 but stop calling me <laughs> and, uh, and uh, I just don't do it I can't do the calorie counting uh, you know that my fitness pal sorry I can't have that on my phone there's just no way if it works for you God bless you for me it's like just being restricted and then the disease loves it because I want freedom I want freedom. That doesn't mean I can go out and eat what I want. It means that I just stick to three meals a day and two snacks. And, um, you know, it works. And I've maintained a 100-pound weight loss for 12 and a half years. And, uh, you know, I've had to really work hard at the body image. Uh, men get it too, ladies. We really do have a problem with it, big time. I do. And, uh, you know, I'm 53 and uh, I was in the gym this morning. I'm staying in a hotel this weekend. And uh, I uh, was in the gym this morning, and there was um, two younger guys who were in great shape. I just can't look at them and compare myself to them. Can't do it. I'm 53. They're 25, right? You know, my testosterone levels are way down. There's a way up. You know, it just it is what it is. And, and God doesn't want me to compare and despair. You know, God wants me to love myself because if I'm not loving myself, I can't love you. And if I can't love you, I get resentful. And then I'm of no use to anybody. So it's a real work in progress every day. But, you know, I'm happy the way I look most of the time, majority of the time, but I have to work hard at it. You know, I have to bring God into, into that area of my life. So I've talked about, you know, how I ended up here. I, I really want to share, how, how long have I got left now? Do you know? Oh, 20 minutes. Right, so I want to really share how I work my program, my 12-step program, and how I bring God into my life. And I know all of us have had a really hard time, particularly compulsive overeaters during the pandemic. But last year, God threw some low balls at me, right? I had a lot going on last year, and I didn't put a pound away on. Um... I work in a business where, I work in national retail for a big corporation, and all of our stores closed down overnight, and I, I run sales, my sales went like that, and I was like, ah, what am I going to do, I've got a mortgage, and 
the company I work for said, don't worry, you will all get paid as if you're hitting 150% on your, on your plan. So I never, I kept getting paid all the way through this pandemic. You know, for about two or three months, I had nothing to do. It was really scary from going from working like really hard and on aeroplanes and meeting people and driving sales and having business meetings to sitting there with no meetings except Zoom. And I'm Zoomed out, folks. I know, sorry, I just can't do the Zoom anymore. I have to be connected. You know, I just got to be in in in-person meetings. And so for about three months, it was, it was hard. I went, I did the OA Zooms, but the thing was, I really just threw myself into, into service. And, you know, I'm not trying to be some angel here. It doesn't come naturally to me. My DNA is quite a selfish person, right? I really have to learn to be giving. And so I did the Meals on Wheels around Brentwood. And if you want to do some service that makes you feel really good about yourself, go and do that. I do it, and I'm still doing it today, you know, driving around giving food to these old people who are like, just stuck at home all day on their own. And I just, I loved it, and I still do I just do it one day a week now. And I've got to know the old dears, and, uh, you know, there's one lady in particular, 97, she's an ex-nurse in the Navy, and she was in Japan in 1945 as a nurse on a ship. And listening to her stories, it's incredible. And when I go and do these things... It just makes my food clean. It makes me feel better about myself. Because I'm not thinking about myself all the time. I'm so self-obsessed when I'm in the disease. It's just awful. I don't like the way it makes me feel. And then, you know, sponsees, you know, I just kind of took on more in in the other program. Not so much in this program. And, And just called my sponsor, my AA sponsor and my OA sponsor, just every day. And just really buckled down on prayer. You know, reading the big book every day and just like, I, honestly, my food just did not, it just stayed the same. And so we had that with my job and I was worried and you know, a lot of fear came in there about what, you know, what happens, what if, what at. And my sponsor went, Michael, you just got to stay in today. God's got you. He's got you. He's got you. He always does this. He's got you. You know, is he taking you this far? 100 pound weight loss. You know, living in Brentwood. Working for a great company, great life partner, loads of friends, popular, happy, you know. Has he took, brought you this far to lose your, lose your job, lose your, your condo and lose your sobriety? It just doesn't work like that. just doesn't work like that. And uh, I went, yeah, so I just buckled down on it. And then two or three months into the pandemic, um, one of the miracles of my recovery is, the, is the, the relationship I've got with my mother today. A miracle. We didn't talk for three years. And now we're talking now. We, she's my best friend. I love her dearly. I'm going to try and keep it together here. But I got a phone call a year ago. It was a FaceTime message from my sister. And it was five in the morning, and then there was three more. So by the time I woke up at 6.30, it was like five missed FaceTime calls. So I knew there was something wrong. And my sister was like, hey, and she FaceTimed me in. And she was in a hospital room in, in England. And she went, you know, mum had a massive stroke last night. She doesn't have long. You know, say your goodbyes. That's hard. That's really hard. On a FaceTime to your mother. And um, again, God comes in, right? So 
on the knees, hit the knees straight away. You know, what do I do here, God? You know, I want to say goodbye to her. And I called my boss. And he's like, this is where God works. My boss said, I don't know if you know this, I lost my mother at 18. She died of breast cancer. Get on a flight now. Eric, it's in the middle of a pandemic. Britain's locked down. doesn't matter. Take as long as you want off. Get on a plane. I lost my mother at 18. You've got to get back there. So I did. I got on a plane. And that was the most surreal experience, flying back to the UK last August in the middle of a pandemic. Got on a huge big 747 or 737, whatever you are. It was the pilot, two flight attendants, and me. <laughs> Somebody said, did you have a row to yourself? I had the section. I had the whole section to myself. It was surreal. And then I, I got back into Britain, Heathrow Airport, the largest airport in the world. There was nobody there. It was like a zombie movie, you know? It was like the apocalypse. And uh, I got up to the small town in the north of England where I live. And my sister said, they're not going to let you in the hospital. I keep trying to tell you that. It's locked down. You're not going to get there. I can't come and meet you. My brother-in-law's diabetic, so she didn't want to come and meet me. You've come from California, the hotbed of COVID. Mm-hmm. So I went and stayed at my mother's house, and I was on my own, and I called the hospital when I got there, and they said, you can't, we're locked down, you can't come. You can't come and see her. And I went, I've come all the way from California to say goodbye to my mother doesn't matter particularly you can't come in now <laughs> and uh, that night I was just like beside myself I called my sponsor in LA and uh, all my, uh, my sober friends and you know what should I do and it's like you've got to pray ask God third step all day long here and uh, there was nowhere to go in this town everything was locked down it wasn't like here it was locked down right there was nobody around and there was no meetings nothing and um, I remember just stuck in this house, and I'm like, I, I, what do I do? So I went for a walk, and then I, I just, it just came, hey, God, what do I do here? I was like, God, what do I do? Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do, God. And it just came into my head, go and knock on the church. We're a Catholic family, and my mother was always in the church, devout Catholic. And it was like, just go and knock on the church. Maybe they'll let you go in and pray and meditate. <laughs> Is where, I'm not making this stuff up, right? You might think I am, I'm not. I knocked on the door, and this Catholic priest opened the door, and I went, hey, his name was Father Adrian. And I said, look, Father, uh, I don't know if you know my mother, Maureen Donahue. And he went, I do know her, yeah. She's in the hospital. And I went, she is. I said, I've come all the way from California to see her, and I can't get in the hospital. I just need somebody to talk to. I'm a recovering alcoholic, and there aren't any AA meetings. And I feel really bad. And he looked at me and he said, California? And this is a small town in the north of England. I said, yeah. I'm I'm not making this up. He said, where in California? And I said, Los Angeles. He said, whereabouts in Los Angeles? I said, do you know LA? He says, yeah, I do. He said, my parents emigrated out there a few years ago. And I went, really? I said, where? He said, Pasadena. I said, I lived in Pasadena. He said, where did you live? I said, I lived on uh, Allen and Del Mar. He said, oh, from the Huntington Library. I know it. And we started talking about LA, which was really surreal with this priest in this little town in the north of England. He said, come on in. And we sat in the church and he said, are you you're, you're sober? 
And I said, yeah, he said, yeah, I work a, a little bit with, you know, sober people. You know, I'm not sober, but, you know, I've been to your meetings. They're really good. And I said, yeah, I can't get to a meeting. I said, I can't get in to see you. I've come all this way. He said, hey, look, I'll call you tomorrow morning. Have you got a, a mobile, a cell phone? I went, yeah. He said, I'll call you tomorrow morning. I can't promise you anything. Um, maybe we can do a video link. Let's see. Let's see what we can do. He said, just leave it with me. And uh, in the morning I got up and there was a missed call from him. And I called him back. And he said, look, you can't tell anybody this. He said, I talked to the hospital chaplain. You're in this afternoon. You've got two hours with her. And it's going to be in a private room and you've got to put on a white suit. I said, I can't believe you've done this. So I went up to the hospital and they snuck me in the back and went, this is a lockdown, you can't come in. And they rolled her in and she was, you know, kind of like, she was awake and she sat up when she saw me. And I held her hand. And I gave her my chip. My one year AA chip. And uh, I told her how much I loved her. That's the 12 steps right there. That's this program. That's what this program does. And uh, we sat for two hours and we talked and we laughed. And she said, I'm really tired. Do you mind if I sleep now? And I went, no. And I left her. And I really thought that was the last time I was going to see her. And I felt, I just felt completely at peace. You know, I got back in the car and I was just completely at peace. You know, I've said goodbye to her. I've made an amends to the way I treated her. I've made an amends to her for the pain I put her through. And I'd already made other amends to her during the course of the, the 13 years. But this was particularly poignant. And when I left, she, she said, I just want to tell you, you're the best son a, man, a woman could have. And it, it just, it like, and here's the biggest miracle she pulled through and she's back in a residential home and I'm going to call her in the morning and she just celebrated being 91 I mean that's that's all God and I'm going back out in October to say see her again you know I mean that this is where this program takes you it heals you know it heals it changes you. You know? It goes much beyond food and weight. It goes way beyond that. And drinking. That's small fry, folks. That's easy. Trust me. When you really dig in, really dig in and get honest really dig in, like Emmett Fox talks about you know, digging for diamonds in South Africa there's a part in his in, in, the, in, in his writings and he says hey look, you know it, we, when we start in the spiritual work, we start digging, we find the yellow diamonds at the top of the clay and we think that's fantastic, that's just losing 100 pounds, that was great digging the little diamonds at the top of the, the dirt, losing the weight and then I dig a bit deeper once I've got my ego's got used to the weight loss, I dig deeper. And then I really start making amends for that hurt that I've caused. And then I dig even deeper. I start helping you. And then I dig even deeper. And I start loving you. 
It's amazing what happens. And then I get to the blue diamonds. The real diamonds. And that's sitting in a a hospital room with your mother that you didn't talk to for four years. And I've wasted those four years, but did I? You know, my sponsor said, no, you didn't. Ten minutes fixed. So this this has been the journey I've been on. And, you know, that was all last year. And And then I got really into hiking. You know, I'm up in the Santa Monica Mountains all the time. I love it up there. And I went over on my knee when I got back from England and I tore all the ligaments in my knee and I had to have surgery. <laughs> and then I was, I was stuck at home for another three months as we started opening up. But I never compulsively ate once because I kept doing these Zoom meetings and calling my sponsor and taking sponsee calls. But here's... It sounds wonderful, right? And it is, but... I want to also talk a little bit about when I stopped digging for those blue diamonds, what happens. And I did a little bit this year. And he got back. My mother got well. The money was still coming in. Things opened up. Business started getting better. And it was around about January time. I just like, I'm zoomed out. I can't do these OA Zoom meetings anymore. You know, half the time I was up making tea and coffee and not listening to you and you know, judging you and looking at people in cars driving when they were sharing and judging them and cats walking past I I can't do this anymore so I just stopped doing the Zoom meetings and there was no OA meetings, right but you know, there's been AA meetings down in Venice that have been all the way through the pandemic so I kept going to those, I'll be alright, I've got my AA and I'll call call my OA sponsor every night, got Michelle, I send my food to and slowly the food got messy. And since February I've put on six pounds. Now for a man, may not seem a lot. That's a warning sign. And then it was like, yeah, I'll try the french fries at the table. Mm. You know, try the french fries. Bit of ketchup on the side. I don't eat french fries. Right? called Michelle the other week there. Yeah, I'm not feeling good about that. Those crunch energy protein bars. They're not candy bars. They're protein bars. <laughs> I was having one. Then I was having two. Then one day I had three. This is 13 and a half years into this. I've worked hard at this, folks. And it's come back. You know, and I, I got real. I called, I called uh, Michelle and I, t- I talked to my sponsor. And they were like, Ken was like, you've got to get to meetings. And then Michelle told me about light a candle. So I'm here now. I'm back. Because I can't leave you. I cannot, cannot treat eating disorders in Alcoholics Anonymous. But I can in Overeaters Anonymous because of the identification. Because when I'm telling you that I'm obsessing about that slice of pizza that my two friends ordered, or when they put a big bowl of uh, garlic fries in the middle of the table, I'm like sitting looking at them and I can't hear the conversation at the table because I just want to gorge on those. Because I had a bad day. You know, my boss like raised his voice at me, you know, and I just want to gorge on them. Thirteen and a half years later, I still get these food thoughts, you know. And, uh, you know, so the, the, the OA meeting at West Hollywood is, is back up on the Sunday. I went to that for years and years, so I've been going to that. came here last week, and uh, during the week, I'm very lucky, I can, like, get away during the day, and I drive over to Hollywood, and I go and do the bulimics meeting. Me, four gay guys, and two, two transgender people. It's the best meeting I've been to for months and months and months. Because I don't care what you look like or what your sexuality is or who you vote for. I just want to know that you want to get well like me. 
and you'll take my call, and I'll take your call, you know. And uh, my food's been really clean. It's been really clean. So I'm gonna, I've got a few minutes left. This weekend's huge. Huge weekend. My uh, AA sponsor's getting married tomorrow. He's a miracle. He used to shoot heroin behind Santa Monica Library. Mm-hmm. He's getting married to a sober girl. He met an Alcoholics Anonymous who used to shoot heroin behind Santa Monica Library. Mm-hmm. And today they own a, they've got a successful business. They live in a lovely home in Marina del Rey. And this wedding is like, there's seven groomsmen, I'm one of them. Everyone's sober. Me, there's only one other OA guy and the groomsmen. And then the seven bridesmaids are all sober. And everybody at the meeting is going to be from recovery. Everybody. Al-Anon, AA, OA, NA. And, I, you know, we did the rehearsal the other night. And it was just, we went and had the rehearsal dinner and, at, at Maestro's. And they put the big bowl of garlic fries in front of me. And I just, might as well have put a bowl of rocks in front of me. It just didn't, didn't faze me. Because I came last week and heard this woman talk about nutritionists and putting weight on and how she got 16 years out of 42. And then Lucy asked me to speak. I can't come and speak here if I'm like having french fries an hour or two before the meeting. <laughs> can't come and talk to you and open my heart up to you and not be rigorously honest. doesn't work like that. So, uh, you know, I sat out in the steps today. And uh, I want to tell you a quick story before I finish. This program has softened me. It's softened me. And last year, this other thing happened. I was out running, and a, a hike or a run, and I was out running, and I was running down Wilshire Boulevard near Routes, and uh, I, heard, uh, I heard this cat making this terrible noise. And uh, I'm not a big, you know, animal pets type of person. If you'd have told me you're going to have a cat, no way I'm having a cat. I've spent way too much of my furniture I don't want a cat, and I do not want a dog, because I don't pick stuff up, right? <laughs> and uh, so I'm running down the road, and I hear this cat, like, making a screech. And uh, I looked over, and this little cat was tied up in a rouse plastic bag. And it was left on a wall. And uh, I opened this bag up, and the little cat had a big cut down here. And it was covered in dirt, so I took it home. And I took it to the cat sanctuary on uh, Sepulveda. And I took it in. And I said, there's the cat. Uh, you know, and I'd done my duty. <laughs> there's your cat. You know, look after it. Get it a good home. And about two months later, they called me and went, you know, the cat, the black cat you brought in? And I went, yeah. Well, we've got so many cats. Would you, would you be interested? No, I can't now. can't do it. Sorry, I travel a lot. I can't do cats, I've got nice, I've just bought a new sofa, I can't do it <laughs> and they said, well why don't you just come in and I went oh. uh, called my sponsor, he said go over there oh, damn it, why did I call him <laughs> go and have a look at the cat, go. so I went in walked into this room there about 20 cats in this room this little black cat came running over to me it was the same cat it remembered me, it must have done it ran over to me and I went, what, have you given her a name? Yeah, Cleopatra. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> so I had to take the cat. And it, this cat has been inseparable from me since last October. It sleeps next to my head. So I'm getting my... I've got such... I've got real problems, real problems. I'm remodelling my house. They're all first world problems. So I had to move out, get a hotel for a few days. And I left the cat with my neighbour who runs a cat thing. 
and I'm missing my cat. <laughs> I said to my girlfriend last night, I'm missing that little thing, you know, which is not here. It's not on my neck. She's not purring away. I want my cat. And the cat woman who I've left the cat with said, don't come and see her, because she'll just jam her up. She didn't come under the sofa. She went under the sofa, didn't come out for like two days. And I just feel really, I just want my cat back. So my place is ready next week, and I can't wait to see Cleopatra. And, uh, you know, I've got a good life. This is a good life. So if you're really struggling, get in the middle, get a sponsor, and help people. And you are going to be amazed at what happens to you. Amazed. So, I think that's it, right? I've got time for one question. If you do, if, you, if you've got a question, anybody got a question? Lucy! Michael, thank you so much. When you find yourself getting really stubborn about something or in your own will, what do you throw at it? What tools do you use? I'm doing that all day. I'm, so, I'm always in my own will. And, and uh, you know, thanks, Lucy. The, the question was, what do I do when I get frustrated? I'm stuck, I'm stubborn, I want my own will. I want it to go the way I want it to go. Lucy, you know, um, I can't manage any aspect of my life. I can't. Uh, if I start trying to, I hit the Jersey barriers. You know, it, I, it's got to be third step all day long. And I learn through the frustration and pain and disappointment. It's the only way I've learned. And uh, I can't control my weight. I can't control my food. You know, I, I can't, I just can't do it. I can't make any decision. I need to be in complete consultation with people. I need to be calling people like Michelle, Ken, Fabian, Travis, my whole crew of brothers. And I, I have to be doing third steps. And I carry my big book. This, I bought this big book, like week two of recovery. It's been in my back pocket. And I open it up and I just read a little bit. You know, I open it up and it, it's like, hey, God, you know, what, what have you got? It's up to God. In the morning, I get up, God, what's going on? What's happening today? I go in Starbucks. God, what is it? Grande? Vente, what do you want? <laughs> Gas station, 91.89. What are we doing, God? All day long, a thousand times a day. Thank you. A thousand times a day, I go to him. He who has all power, may you seek him now. And things get incredible. And I'm a living proof of that. Living proof. Because on my own will, 300 pounds, I'm miserable, I'm suicidal, I'm angry, I'm resentful, I'm no use to anybody. And that's how I live my life today. Thank God I found you all. That's it. Thank you.